All right, welcome back into another episode of Content Is For Closers. We're very happy to have Blythe Brumlev. I probably should have asked you that. Of all the questions I asked you in the in the pre, is Brumlev, is that how you say your last name? It's close. So Brumleve. So I, I've heard Brumleve. all the different pronunciations throughout the years, but Brum, Blythe Brumleve, like you're leaving a party. <laughs> leaving the party. My last name is Vasquez. So, I mean, there's I, I haven't heard all of the variations yet still. I'm sure there'll be new ones invented but it's kind of like a game I play when, <laughs> when I first meet people. But Blythe, we have you here. You are a proud member of Duval County and, and Duval Nation. And I, I, I have a little bit of a soft spot for the Jags myself. You guys had Nick Foles there after he took us to a title and now have, in my opinion, the greatest coach of all time, Doug Peterson. What's your, tell me about your thoughts on, on the upcoming season with the Jags. Oh my gosh. I mean, after last season, first of all, thank you for Doug Peterson, because that (laughs) is, he is the calm in the ocean that we needed after Hurricane Urban came through. I I cannot tell you the, when you, when you're a Jaguars fan and when you think things cannot get worse, just know that they always can. (laughs) Because I think that that was how last season started is that, you know, when we hired Urban Meyer, it was one of these things. It was like, okay, you know, we have the experienced head coach that's coming to town. You know, we're close, we're very close proximity to the University of Florida. So it's going to be a good thing to have that kind of veteran leadership come to the organization. And after the ruin that he left our team in, because (laughs) At the same time, we also drafted, you know, quote unquote, generational talent. I hope he's still that. Trevor Lawrence, it's quarterback, first overall pick a couple of years ago. That is our first drafting Trevor Lawrence was sort of the the step in the, I guess, the, the quote unquote, good direction that we were hoping the franchise would take after the, you know, everything that happened. We went to the AFC Championship game in 2017, and then we just had this epic collapse. So Trevor, drafting Trevor Lawrence and hiring Urban Meyer was supposed to be the thing to bring us into, you know, the, the I guess, being a competitive football team. That's right. That obviously crashed and burned. Um, but Doug Peterson, you know, especially with his history during that 2017 season, I don't have to tell you all the things that he did and won nope. you guys a Super Bowl. I think Great. back to the book that he wrote. I don't know if you actually read that book, but he wrote I have it. Oh, you have it. Cool. Well, I was going to say he wrote in that book about the Jaguars failing and how they failed playing against the Patriots. (laughs) And I remember hearing that back then. So when the rumors were that we were going to be hiring him, I was all for it because that's the kind of leadership. That's the kind of experience that this organization really has never had before. We had Tom Coughlin for a little while especially early in the year, we brought him back as sort of a, you know, a VP role, but everybody knows he still wants to be a coach. So that situation didn't really work out on the second time around. But I really think it's one of those things where it's like, I really hope <laughs> Doug Peterson yeah, is the guy. I, I really do. I can't take much more I of this. I think he is. He's a, he's a curse breaker. He broke our curse. If you can win in Philly, you can win anywhere. And listen, Urban, buddy just needed a night out. You know, that was... <laughs> Who, who doesn't? What a what a nightmare situation. I didn't like him before. Couldn't stand him there, but I was really glad to see Doug get there. And I think I think Doug's gonna have a big impact on Trevor too. So I'd get excited if I were you. But besides being a Jacksonville super fan, obviously you have built this digital platform, this career online. And I think it's so interesting because what we talk a lot about here is niching down getting deep, burrowing into a specific niche and allowing that to guide a lot of your, you know, your, your decision-making, a lot of what you actually create. 
And so I'd love to hear just how did you discover the the freight world? And we can get more into all the different things that you do in that space. But how did you discover that? And, and how did that become a passion point for you as a creator? Sure. So about I was in I was very early into sort of the blogging world. I think I started my first blog in 2007. And it was a sports and entertainment blog. And around that same time, I think it was the same week that I started that that blog, I had also started working as an executive assistant at a 3PL, which for folks who don't know, a 3PL is a third-party logistics provider, meaning you're kind of the middleman to set up the trucks to meet with the customers that have the freight and vice versa. You just make sure the product gets delivered so the customers don't have to worry about where their shipments are and things like that. So I started working as an executive assistant there. And my boss at the time really sort of morphed into a mentor for me. He found out about what I was doing on the side and loved it. He was a former truck driver who worked his way up in the company that eventually bought out that company and outright owned it. So he, I think he kind of saw a little bit of himself in me. And so he really invested in me. He sent me to different computer training at the time. You know, it was all like the Adobe suite, the Microsoft suite. He started sending me to social media conferences. So he really helped me to fine tune that one person marketing team And handed over all of the marketing. We had no marketing department, but he handed over the website, social media, all of that stuff to me. And it was a $140 million company. And so I'm, you know, 26. I'm fairly new to, you know, the internet game. I think everybody kind of was at that time. And it was also very new into social media. We were the second company or second logistics company ever on the HubSpot platform. So we were very new to all of those different sort of methodology, the inbound methodology. And so unfortunately, I worked for that company for five years. And then it, I don't want to say unfortunately, I worked for them for five years. I worked with them for five years. And then unfortunately, it closed. And so when it closed down, it was, if you've ever worked in sort of trucking or transportation, you don't shut down over a long period of time. You shut down quickly. Like I found out at a dentist appointment and two days later we were packing up our office. So that it was that quick. It was right before the holidays. So it was sort of like a fork in the road for me. I had a little bit, you know, we we all kind of got a severance. So I had a little bit of breathing room to kind of get through the holidays and then figure out what I wanted to do next. And what I wanted to do next was kind of, you know, leave freight and go try out different industries. So I went to work for a local magazine. I went to work for a local radio station. I did some local TV. I never went to school for any of this, by the way. It was just sort of learning through blogging, learning through social media, learning through YouTube. So I really cut my teeth there and, and got that experience there, that trial by fire. And so then after a little bit, I chose to, or really after a bad a bad career decision, I ended up leaving working at a magazine to go work for a college sports blog. And it was, I was miserable that I was working 70, 80 hours a week. I was no longer really permitted to work on my own site because the content that I would create there, they would get upset that it wasn't on their platform. So it was really just like a big, just mess. And so after that happened, I went back to work for my old boss at a 4PL, which is a, 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 kind of a same as a 3PL, but you also have your own, you also manufacture your own goods. So some of your trucks are going towards, you know, your customers, and then some of your trucks are going towards your own load. So that's what a 4PL is. And then 
I just, my boss kind of got to the point where he was like, look, he's like, there's no more room for you to grow here. I need to push you out of the nest. You need to go out on your own. And so that's when I did. I, I started up Brumley Brands as a digital marketing agency. And I really was just worried about with uh, where am I going to get my next check, right? That's the first yeah, thing you yeah. think about whenever you go out on your own. Who's going to be my first customer? You know, thank God that they were one of my first customers. So I started lining up customers kind of quickly, but I also learned very quickly that I can't just, you know, accept a check from everyone. I can't learn real estate and home building and construction and, you know, stay in logistics all at the same time. I would love to, to just duplicate myself. But I, I realized that that wasn't a pathway that I needed to go, go down. And that's why I picked the quote unquote niche of working in logistics and supply chain and providing that those services to this industry, because I knew how sorely it was needed. I already knew the lingo, which is the biggest barrier, I think, for a lot of marketing agencies to just serve this space is that you don't know the lingo, you don't know the pain points. And that's really where I stood out. And I use air quotes as saying a niche because supply chain and logistics is almost like the CIA where you don't really know what they do until something messes up. So that's what I love about this industry is that we just keep everybody moving and you don't really know about us until something messes up. And so I started my own agency with Brumley Brands, niche down to Digital Dispatch. And so that's the agency that serves the transportation logistics space. And so I'd like to I'd like to create my services modeled around the one-person marketer because that's what I was for so many years. And so that's sort of the, what drives me, what my ethos is, is helping that one-person marketing, even though it was kind of a long, convoluted way to get there. No, I love it because I think it's another example, and this has been a recurring theme on this show, of the overnight, decade-long success, right? I mean, so many people see maybe the the tip of the iceberg now and wonder how can I get there? How can I and your your road is similar to mine and similar to so many where there was a lot of twists and turns in order to get to the thing where you actually wanted to 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 get to go and and start your own business and get to do that. I love that analogy of the of 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 logistics to the CIA. I think the other similarity is you always hear about both of them when like global catastrophes happen, like when, when COVID happened, it was all about supply chain. Now with the Russia situation, it's all about supply chain and formula. And like, anytime there's like huge global events, supply chain is right there, you know, (laughs) waiting to be mentioned. So you went through that entire journey that to, to eventually launch your business. And then did you launch your show at the same time with, with that, or talk about that experience of beginning to create content for yourself and, you know, launching a show as a single creator, et cetera. Sure. So when I got started in radio, so I was still a blog, I've been a blogger this entire time. And so, but when I got started in radio, I was on the first all-female show in the country hosted by all women. And that was my first taste of like creating radio content. And I had never really known that that was going to be a career path for me. Mm-hmm. And so I started getting different opportunities. Hey, do you want to be the midday, you know, co-host? Do you want to, you know, start working on game days? And so it was one of those things where I I started creating all of this different, really like Jaguars focused content, but I had so many other different interests. And so I already had, you know, a, a podcast that I was working on, you know, on the side, I was doing some live streaming, mostly because I wanted more airtime. And I wasn't getting it in the capacity that I wanted, meaning I was being kind of put into the role of like the news girl or 
the sure. moderator. I am, I, you know, I'm on, to, if you follow me on Twitter, you know, I'm not shy to give my opinion. I think anybody on Twitter is not really shy to give their opinion right. on different things. So for me, that was really where I wanted to be. And I wasn't getting that airtime. So I said, I'm going to get it myself then. And so I started live streaming and turning that live stream into a podcast. And I I did that starting around 2014. And I still have that podcast active. But I knew that with Digital Dispatch, I needed to do the same thing because content is king. It always has been. And so I know that I needed to to start up a logistics and supply chain focused podcast, but I did not think that that audience, the sports audience was going to care, especially for like Jaguar fans. They don't care about logistics and supply chain. Just talk about the team. So that's (laughs) when I made the decision to not shut down, but archive the old podcast and start up with the new Digital Dispatch podcast. And so what I did is I had already kind of transitioned into starting making like, you know, business you know, kind of content B2B style content. And I just didn't feel like it was the right place on the sports podcast that I'd built up for years. So I took my my 10 favorite episodes, some sports inspirational stories, things like that. And then all of the marketing conversations that I'd done, I took those and then I used that as sort of my launch content for the Digital Dispatch podcast. And then I did that for about two months before Freight Waves. I'd, I'd been close with the company Freight Waves for... A few years, I'd gone to their trade shows. I'd gone to their their conferences. I'd not trade shows, conferences and events. They'll probably kill me if I said trade sure, shows. So I'd gone to their conferences and events. You know, I was I went to their very first one. So I'd known a lot of the people that are still there, like Craig Fuller. I know you've had him. You know, as a previous guest on the show. Yep. And so I, they pretty much asked me after two months of doing the Digital Dispatch podcast, "Hey, do you want to start guest co-hosting on a show called Put That Coffee Down, which is kind of like a marketing and sales show?" So I did that for a couple of months and then they said, hey, do you want your own show? And that's how Cyberly was born, which is another show to kind of, you know, another verb to throw into the mix. So with Cyberly now, I plan that show. It's a live show every Thursday at 2 p.m. And what I do is I separate the show out into four different segments and then I take those segments and I upload them as an individual episode to the Digital Dispatch podcast. So I kind of treat Cyberly is like a distribution place, but also a place where I'm, I can get creative with content. I can talk to marketing and sales leaders, business leaders in this space, but it also leaves me a little bit of flexibility to still kind of be my own authority in a way where I can have my different monologue topics that I bring to light that I think you should be aware of, such as like AI and marketing communication methods, if you're going to a conference, networking methods, things like that. And then I always end the show with a fun topic. So there's a story that we did today on how the Brits stole black tea from China. And that's how tea sort of dominated their culture and their country is because of economic espionage that they committed against the Chinese back in like the 17th century. And they did all of these crazy things like taking over their ports and, you know, declaring war. And it's, it was just a super fascinating deep dive into how ports and maritime and supply chain really affect, have these long lasting effects. I mean, we're talking about something that happened in the 17th century And then now look at how tea is such a dominant cultural aspect to the British people. And then also an an unreal amount of people that drink tea here in the U.S. And 90% of that market is black tea and all stems from China. So I'm able to sort of split up the show into several different topics where 
I can talk marketing, I can talk to these leaders and get their expertise, but I can always I can always bring it back to why this industry is so important. And so then I take all of those episodes, I upload them directly to Digital Dispatch. I create a content library on my website and I try to just make sure that the content, I try to always keep who I was. I'm still a sort of a small marketing team, but I always try to keep who I was, you know, 10 years ago and the resources that I needed. I try to keep that in mind when I'm creating my content. Like, this is why this industry is rad. And here are the ways that you can maneuver it strategically and from a marketing perspective. Yeah. Man, so that you have so many, you know, one thing that immediately appeals to me with just what you just described is all the variety, right? Like I'm such a, I I like to be able to talk about 12 different things, relate them somehow to the Eagles. And then like talking about the history and all that is so exciting and fascinating. What, what would you say just sort of zooming out are some of the lessons or takeaways you've learned as you've carved this career? Cause it's, this is this didn't exist even just 15 years ago of someone who would create their own path in the way that you have and and, and many others are as well now. What are some of the takeaways that you ta- you'd share for someone who is looking to create a, a a path as a media personality or as a content creator in whatever niche? Is there anything that you you'd have top of mind? I would say the biggest thing that I see when folks enter the content creation space is that you want to set yourself up as the expert, but you also want to have a lot of humility and you want to be open to learning. You want to be open to be proven wrong. And I think that that is the thing that most people have a hard time with, regardless of whether they're on camera or in front of a microphone or not. But remaining curious, because I think that there's so much power in in curiosity and being humble and what, knowing that you don't know everything. That's what's so fascinating about this industry. And I'm sure, you know, even like, you know, manufacturing or quote unquote other boring industries, you know, being able to have that level of curiosity and be able to explore those questions that don't commonly get asked. You know, we all get asked about our background, but how do you dive in a little bit deeper to find out that deep subject matter expertise? And I think you have to have that level of curiosity and also that humbleness that you don't know everything. The more I learn about supply chain, the more I realize how much I still have left to learn. And I think if you enter content with thinking that you know everything and you have all of the answers, I think that you're going to find out pretty quickly that that's a little off-putting. It's okay to be an expert and, you know, explain at a profound level of what you're an expert in, but you're not an expert in everything. And so I think for a lot of people looking to enter the content game is being okay with asking how that question or that that entry level, explain it to me like I'm in fifth grade style question. I was just talking to a woman who is the, the CEO of a data company, a maritime data company in Singapore. And I was, she explained, she broke down like how she creates data for different trade lanes. But then she was able to, because I don't know how a trade lane gets established. I don't know how a shipping lane gets established for you know those giant cargo ships that you know float through the ocean and bring us all of our goods. I don't know how those things are established, but she knew and she was able to break that down in a way that the audience is able to understand it on a deeper level of the importance of that industry. And so, or the important aspects of not only the industry, but the solution that she provides to it too. 
So I think for a lot of creators, having that humbleness and embracing their curiosity will will always serve them. It's always served me. So I that's, you know, hopefully other people would find that advice helpful. Yeah. So, okay. Speaking of content then, and, and as someone who's looking to stay curious and learn, tell, tell me what are some, some of the things you found that are helping you grow your content now. I'm thinking of things like we've been experimenting a lot with, with shorts, YouTube shorts. That seems to be a huge engine for growth for us. Is there anything like that that you've had for your show or for Cyberly or your business that, that comes to top of mind when it comes to like actively new growth? I would say the connection of marketing to sales and revenue generating, because I, as a marketer, I have always just been naively, I have told myself, hey, if I just create the content, then people are naturally going to find me. I'm going to, and naively, you know, 10 years ago, I would say to myself, oh, people are just going to find out about my blog and then I'll be able to sell it for millions of dollars and I'll be rich and I don't have anything to worry about. Obviously, that is not going to happen. And even at the higher level of like a B2B type space where the sales cycles are so much longer, learning how to tie revenue into the content that I create and being more strategic of the why behind I'm creating that content has helped me tremendously. Now, when you take that approach, I think I also have to give credit to, I'm sure most people who listen to this podcast know of him, but Chris Walker from State of Demand Gen podcast, Refine Labs, Fame. He his content, I discovered it in early like pandemic area. I think it was like the summer of 2020 when I discovered his content. And at first, like you hear what he has to say and you kind of get mad. And you kind of like, no, that's not how it works. Like you, you make the content, you send the leads to the landing page, they download the ebook, and then sales is supposed to take right. over from there. And when you hear the justification behind it, you get mad at first and then you start looking into your own data and then you start realizing, oh, holy shit, he's right. I <laughs> need to be focused on generating revenue and tying my marketing back to it, not being obsessive about you know the numbers and you know attribution reports that marketing tech software provides to you, but really going at it at a deeper level where you're having conversations with your prospects and you're digging deeper, you're using you know, those content creation skills into those conversations where you're having with your customers and having those conversations with my customers and prioritizing that has really driven the rest of my marketing plan. I now sort of leave it a little bit more open and a little bit more fluid where I'm no longer planning out a 12-month content calendar. I'm allowing it to evolve after I have these conversations with prospects and with my current client base. And so having that level of being agile has really changed the trajectory of my business, of my career, and being able to sort of vocalize what I hear going on in my customer sphere and being able to relay that through data and communicate that data to other people has really been a game changer for me. And then also learning I think it's it's easier for people to talk long-winded as I'm probably doing a bunch in this episode. Yeah, but yeah, being great. able to you know, look at those long form conversations and shorten it. And when you think it's short enough, shorten it again and then shorten it again. And I think that that's where the power of short form video really comes into play because we're really going after those shortened attention spans. I think it's anywhere from three to five seconds now that we have in order to gather someone's attention span, whether it's TikTok or YouTube shorts, any of these other platforms that are incorporating short form video. 
and really challenging yourself to not be long-winded, to hammer home one point, break it down, make it interesting, and really adjust the format of not necessarily what you're saying, but the order in which you say it in order to help the audience ultimately understand what you're trying to explain. Because if they understand what you're trying to explain and you're able to to meet them where they're at over a long period of time, then my company is positioned then to win or I'm positioned to win before that user ever goes to Google, before they ever go to a colleague to try to find, you know, a solution for the problem that my company solves. And so that's sort of, you know, the value in what I preach. Start with the long form video, but figuring out how to take that long form video and turn it into several different pieces of content, especially when it comes to short short term video or short form video. TikTok is a big player for me. I actually repurpose a lot of my TikToks over to LinkedIn. YouTube Shorts is another one that I've experimented with and I want to experiment more. I would say I'm not really prioritizing, you know, Reels or Snapchat or any of these other platforms. I'm only one person. I have time for one or two social media platforms and that's what I prioritize are those short form video platforms, but then also tying it back to, you know, this is one thing you're going to learn if you watch this hour long video. There's here's one thing you're going to learn if you listen to a 20 minute podcast. And you can probably find several things within your content that you can then repurpose in TikTok style format, meaning you're not just taking something and cutting it up, which is what I used to do, but then you're just rephrasing it on that platform and uploading it dedicated to that platform. So then that way it has, you're speaking to that audience in their own language instead of trying to take, you know, maybe like a, a reel and speaking to an Instagram audience versus speaking to your TikTok audience, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. We, we just had on last week, Andrew Warner, who's the founder of Mixergy. He has the book, Stop Asking Questions for Podcast Hosts. So pretty intimidating interview for me, to be honest, because you write the book on, on the interviewing, but he had this great analogy about, uh, to, to your point about connecting with your customers, using the same skills you learn in content creation to ask them good questions. He had this great analogy about, first of all, when he was trying to write his book, his editor told him, I think you're disconnected from the actual problem that these people have don't write anymore. Just go talk to people. Hmm. And the way that he did that was he kept hosting these scotch dinners and having to explain or ask a specific question in a way that someone who's there to drink scotch is going to answer in like 30 seconds, I think was a really helpful exercise for him. He described that. And it got me thinking like so often you know, we bifurcate our time and the things that we do. And so this is content creation time. This is sales time. This is social time and being able to take grains of each and, and kind of like cross pollinate a little bit and being able to be efficient and concise enough to do that, I think speaks to what you were just, just talking about. And it's a very difficult skill to have in my experience. Yeah. You, you have to constantly be open to refining your process. And I think even defining your process at first is really challenging for people. It, it, you know, what does that process look like? Or who are you going to interview? If you're going to start up a podcast, well, how, you know, what are all the steps that are involved in that process? Who are you going right. to talk to? Is it just going to be you? Is it going to be, you know, several other people, industry leaders? Are you going to do it every day? Are you going to do it once a week? There's so many different variables that go into this, but being open to changing that process and auditing 
refining it over time to make it better and make it more suitable for your audience is really just such a home run. And as long as you keep that ethos behind your the the methodology of what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish, then it really is like you you can replicate a lot of these same skill sets in different industries all over. I just talked to a guy who is starting up a podcast for Medicare benefits. And that's all he's going to talk about. And I think it's fascinating because there's probably a lot of people who have that those questions. There's probably a lot of people that work in the healthcare industry that don't know all of the nuances of of that aspect of of the healthcare industry. And I think that there's there's a lot of room to grow with content creation. And we're really only scratching the surface. I think that it was something like the overwhelming majority of podcasts that are on Apple are dormant or Apple and Spotify wow. that they're dormant and that they don't regularly create new shows. And so if you're thinking that the the market is too crowded that everybody has a podcast, most people start and quit after 2 months. And as long as you yeah. just keep going and cr- you're committed to being better and staying curious and refining your processes, then every I'm convinced everybody could do this. And I know that there's different talent levels for it, but you don't get better at anything until you try and you get the reps. Yeah, something like over 65% of, of shows don't make it past episode seven or wow. or haven't made it past episode seven. I guess they could come back. So, uh, you know, having that endurance is, is definitely key. So all of this content, all the things that you create, they point back to Digital Dispatch, which is your, your wait, actually, is that right? Is that your company, Digital yes. Dispatch? Okay, so, did- so tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So Digital Dispatch, it really started out as a marketing agency dedicated to logistics and supply chain. That's really where it's at now, but I would say less on the marketing services side of things because I, I learned pretty quickly that you can you can have conversations like what we're having right now with your clients, but ultimately, if the executives don't want to do the work, then you're not going to see any long term success mm. using marketing if they don't want to put into the, the work. choir on this. <laughs> so yeah, if they're yeah. <laughs> if they're not going to want to be on camera, if they don't want to be interviewed, and they only want the happy Halloween or Merry Christmas social media posts, you're going to oh, get no. blamed, and you're going to get be the first one to get cut when they got to make I'm budget have cuts. To clip this. I'm going to have to clip this and send this to like four people that just popped into my head. It's it's it's, it's going to be bad. Yeah. It's, it's just it's it's nauseating to to think that you can <laughs> hire an agency to help you stand out from the rest if you're not willing to be the only differentiator in that process. So, we probably have a lot of aggra- aggravation in that area. So, I learned pretty quickly that if you're not if the executives aren't willing to do the work, then it's kind of pointless for me to be to have you as a client. And so I I have no problem telling clients, you're not a good fit for me if you're not willing to put in the work. But for the clients that do want to put in the work, so what we've kind of reorganized the company structure into being is more marketing operations focused. A lot of these companies have, you know, several different marketing tools, several different sales tools. Nobody's talking to each other. None of it talks to their website. And so that's really where our bread and butter is. I've been building websites since 2007. And so for me, it was really like, how do we help these companies establish that really strong foundation? How do we bring in all of the tools that they're using and perform those audits of what are you using and why? There are over 8,000 marketing tools on the market, software marketing tools. 
And a lot of these companies are wasting a lot of money in areas where they could take that budget and they could do something better with their marketing dollars. So bringing those all into one full circle, analyzing what's working, what's tied to business objectives, and then helping them establish that really strong foundation. And then I use all of the content that I create for Cyberly that I you know package up into different specific episode, niche episodes into Digital Dispatch. So I really use the content to help educate my clients and help educate the audience into how, okay, you have the foundation set with your website, set with all of your different tools that are integrated. Now it's up to you to go out there and go execute. And so that's where we help them with the content. And that's sort of our differentiator. We're at the the crux of it. We're really a hosting and maintenance provider for a lot of these companies. But then on the on the additional benefit side of things, it's our content that helps set the company apart from our competitors, because we're always going to be in the trenches. We're always going to be wanting to get better with our content. So I'm go- I have no problem sharing my processes and how I do it. And I share it with the audience and I share it with our customer base first. And so it's up to them to take it to the next level. And some of them do and some of them don't, but at least your website and your marketing ops are set up in a way that you will see success or you will see what you need to improve after mm. you get started. That seems like a much less aggravating way to go about things <laughs> you're making me rethink a lot i'm for- telling you I, people need i learned during covid people need hosting and maintenance they don't need marketing and so working through a recession working through covid hosting and maintenance is something that people are more than willing to just get off of their plate so they don't have to deal with it and then bringing it full circle with marketing operations it just makes a ton of sense because you're in the industry every day as am i as you know, probably with, with a lot of people that are listening to this. And if you can provide that sort of full circle education, I think that in, and you lead with education, you're always going to have people that trust you, whether they do business or not with you. And, you know, the business is the side effect. And that's, you know, eventually what, you know, creating, when I let go of gating my content and having that control over you know, the lead process and what I thought, you know, was a good process to have that I learned in, you know, 2010, when I let go of that process, it was just so incredibly freeing because then it's, I'm like an open book. I'll tell you exactly what my process looks like. I'll tell you exactly what I think your process should look like. It's up to you to actually go and execute it. Mm. Awesome. Well, Bly, thank you so much for spending some time with us, for sharing your strategy and, and all the things that your story with us. If folks want to check in on all the work that you're doing and and follow along as you continue on, where's the best place for them to uh, connect with you? Sure. So I created a link tree, but like a personal one. So everything is logistics.com is where you can find sort of like a mini website, micro website. You can find, you know, Cyberly Show, Digital Dispatch, our product services, all that, and plus all of my social media. So if you want just one stop place where you can access all of that, everything is logistics.com. hope you enjoyed that episode of Everything is Logistics, a podcast by Digital Dispatch, where we help your company build a better website. And speaking of my company, I founded it back in 2018, but we recently streamlined our website services plans. So if you want to check out how we can help you and your marketing team build a better website and connect those ROI goals, then go visit digitaldispatch.io. 
You can also check out past episodes of this show and every show by hitting up the resources page on digitaldispatch.io or on everythingislogistics.com. I do some freelance content projects for select clients. And if you liked this show, then you might like some of the other content projects that I've worked on, like Cyberly, Maritime Means, and more. But until next time, I'm Blake Brumleave, and I will see you real soon. Go Jags!